on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by River Wind Casino. We recap OU's win at BYU. We also recap the other great games of Week 12 of college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Sunday, November 19th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now recording this Sunday afternoon, please have a, leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. A win's a win. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't That may or may not be true. I'm not sure, but uh, we definitely did win the football game. The Oklahoma Sooners are nine and two after a hard fought victory in Provo in what was an awesome road trip. Everything it about it was great, except for, and we'll start with the defense, but other than how the game played out, didn't quite play out the way that we thought it would, but everything about the trip was fantastic. Everything about BYU, the people, the fans, it was, it was a great trip. I really enjoyed it. Couldn't agree more. I thought it was, it was awesome. Just the, the scenery, epic scenery. We stayed in Salt Lake, uh, just a beautiful downtown, uh, all kinds of stuff happening. I had a basketball game there. The jazz were playing and, all kinds of restaurants and bars and, you know, tons of Sooner fans around Salt Lake City. It was just, it was really cool. The environment was awesome. Their fans were were cool. It was super loud. It's a, I actually really like that stadium, the way it's laid out. Everything was great. It, well, the field sucks, but, you know, everything other than the field on the trip was great. Yeah, that field is straight trash. It's bad. It's as, it's as bad as I've ever seen. Speaking of bad, Ted, let's start with what you saw from OU's defense. Was it was it as bad as I thought it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting, though. You know, I. It's just it's an all around frustrating day. I guess we can start with the defensive line. I I just I thought. 
on the interior. I thought we were soft. I thought we were flat. Um, you know, we've, we moved quite a bit with our defensive line to stunt. And typically, I, the more you stunt, the more you move, the more you're making up for something. And I think that that was Roof and Venables trying to stop the bleeding to some degree because of how bad we were fitting things on the second level at linebacker. We'll get to that. Um, we were pushed around. We were blocked. We talked about this offensive line coming in. Not a very good group. Last in the Big 12 running the football. Um, you know, they had moved a couple of different guys around. But we were blocked. We we had guys in our chest. We played with poor technique. And that usually happens whenever you've had a couple of breakdowns in your run fits and how people are supposed to be, you know, fitting up a, a specific run. And it's not, it's not, people aren't fitting it right. The ball's getting out the gate. So what's the natural reaction? I'm going to start doing my job and someone else's. And I'm going to start looking for the football to see if it's going to, uh, if, if it's not coming here, I better go help. So we ended up high. We ended up catching on the defensive line. We're pushed around. Now, there were some individual nice plays throughout. I thought Jacob Lacey had a couple of really nice plays where he was firing off. He was low. He had good pad level. Um, Jonah Lulu had a really nice pass rush on one where he hit a really nice spin, pressured the quarterback. Um Trace Ford had a really nice push-pull off the edge on a rush. That was nice. But the majority of it was too high, getting pushed off the football. But in the the defensive line's defense, some of that was because the trust with the second level had gone to absolutely zero, and rightfully so. Um, I've got to say, it's the worst day at linebacker that I can remember. Right, it's going back like since we've been dialing in and covering these things the way we are. Misfit after misfit, misaligned pass coverage, not dropping to the right place, not having eyes on our coverage, uh, slipping, falling blockers in our chest burying us on the, under our back uh poor footwork not reading our keys and that's 28 that's 10 that's 11 that's 7 nobody's immune um that was all around bad uh oh before I got to background I meant to mention the we got hit with the option play quite a bit and, you know, it's hard for me sometimes team, you, you play things differently. You can play different week by week as to who's your quarterback player, who's your pitch player, who's your alley player and how that works in a specific defense. So I can't really comment on who should have been where and who should have had what. But what I can comment on at defensive end is our technique. And it happened, I think it mainly happened to Ethan Downs and I'm when I'm talking option I'm not talking zone read I'm talking speed option here we come we're pitching it to a pitch man 
or we're keeping it at quarterback. Uh, it mainly happened to Ethan Downs. You have to give ground if you are the quarterback player and buy time for the rest of the defense. It's called a feather technique. You have to give ground. You don't go forward. You don't go up the field. You have to press up. You see its option coming at you, and you feather, and you give ground, and you as that pitch relationship comes around the corner, they're really not coming downhill and gaining any yards. It's just kind of turning the corner, and you're helping the rest of your defense get there. And hopefully, as you feather and give ground, you can force him to pitch it as the pursuit comes inside out, and you can help turn into the what's called the alley player, which is someone who's really defending the quarterback and the pitch, but you already have a defined pitch guy. We were terrible at that. We were straight up the field. Um, we we gave ground. Or we didn't give ground, but we we spread it out, but we didn't give ground to buy time for our team. It was, it was just, it wasn't done properly. Um, and that hurt us. Now, I think a big part of that could have been our preparation. It looked to me like we didn't think Retzloff was going to play. Like maybe we thought we were going to have a pocket passer. Maybe we were just going to get what we've traditionally got run game, split zone, uh, counter, little zone insert. I mean, they had shown some speed option stuff, but didn't live in it. And, you know, I don't know. It's hard to know if like they just kind of stumbled upon that offensively and it was like wow you know this this isn't really what we plan to do but we're gonna we can make a living here and obviously they did like I don't know what went on because the zone read stuff you know they did a couple times midline zone read they did it on the edge they they did it with motion they did it with you know that little influence block where it looks like they're running quick or they're reaching the the end and he gives a ton of space we we just didn't have an answer for it. And the technique was, was terrible at um, either Mike backer or defensive end, whenever we're playing the edge and we've got to, we've got to crash down and stay tight to the tackle when he goes away and play the running back way too much space. Every time it's because they don't trust that the quarterback player is going to be there. So, I mean, it was just as a general all around, it was really bad. Okay. So as bad as it was, if you're looking for, I guess what you would call the silver lining, it's it. They had some absolute game changing plays on defense. Yep. As bad as the run fits were as disappointing as it was to watch BYU's offensive line. is not good. You can't tell that looking at this film. It, they're not good. I know. It, and it was alarming. I, I don't know why this defensive line can't play well away from home. J no. Just think of how we've talked about them after home games versus how we've talked about them when they've played true road games. Kansas, Oklahoma State, and now BYU. They've gotten their ass blocked in all three of those games. Well, I, I don't know how to explain it. They're a different, they're a different group at home first on the road. And I, I, I 
I don't know. I don't know what to tell people. One of the common threads in there is, you know, Stutzman didn't play a large chunk of the Kansas game. He didn't play any of the Oklahoma State game. And he was in and out in this game. He played a, a, a pretty good percentage of the snaps, but he didn't play all of them. And, you know, we found out that he had some type of flu or stomach flu or food poisoning or something. And, you know, I, I don't know how how much he practiced throughout the week because of all the different things that he's got going on. I'm sure that that's a factor. There's a lot of getting lined up late, a lot of waiting on the call from the sideline and defensive linemen turn around looking at the backers waiting for a call. There was a lot of that going on too. So other than defense, but you know, they still got pushed around. So other than the sack strip fumble, which was a huge play. And then Billy Bowman's pick six, not a, not a, not a ton of positive takeaways from the day defensively. I'll I'll say this. Um, I've got a bunch of notes here about Billy Bowman. That kid is incredible. The amount of plays that he made in this game, and most of them are, there's a lot of tackles that are like 15-yard gains, but they're touchdown-saving tackles. And his effort and his technique on those are are great. He had an awesome tackle for loss on whatever that screen, whatever people call that screen, where they come number three comes up and blocks, and the backside comes, and then he dips back behind the line of scrimmage, whatever people call that play. Made an awesome read, recognition, fly downhill, make a big tackle for loss. The pick six is awesome. We get, we're down on the goal line. There's a hurry up. We get a blitz call in. It's late. Our other safeties on the wrong side of the field. He's supposed to be coming down and covering the number two receiver. Billy Bowman's on a blitz. He's a you know he's about to blitz and he sees that number two is absolutely wide open. So he pulls himself out of the blitz, stays on the number two wide receiver, and they throw it right to him for the pick six. Um, just an incredible heads up, smart play by him. I think they knew they had the safety on the wrong side of the field and knew he was blitzing. That's why he just grabbed it and threw it right to him. He thought he was going to be coming on the blitz and he held off and, and played the receiver. Billy Bowman played an excellent, excellent game. Excellent. If we didn't have Billy Bowman on the field, we would have got run out of that stadium. (laughs) That's how good of a day he had. Anything else defensively? Well, people I, are people are going to want you to give them answers as to why the run fits were so bad, and I, I can't tell you. I don't know. Uh, I've got a lot of notes written down here. Um, number twenty eight's buried. Number twenty two's lost. Number seven is lost. Linebacker footwork question mark. Uh, I mean, it's everyone. There's there's so many places where guys are lost, just flat out. You know, there's the gaping hole. Now, and I'm not suggesting that this stuff is easy because they're bringing emotion across, the formation's changing, but there's plenty of times where you've got, typically you've got three guys, all right? You've got your two backers and then your insert safety. And they generally fit, like they'll follow the 
the tight end across or the puller, and you'll see these guys fit. And this, if wherever the safety is, the backers fit away, right? And the safety takes the backside. There's a lot of times where, like, your safety is right here, your backers are here, and your backers do this to the backside, and there's just a a wide open gaping hole on the front. And and I can see, like, I don't know the call, and I don't know exactly how they coached everything, but I can see where the low safety is, and I see that the backers are wrong. You know, so there was a bunch of that. And we kept rotating guys in because we'd put one in and we'd be lost in coverage and give up a 20-yard route and he'd come out and the next guy'd come in and there'd be a, a wrong wrong fit, a run fit, and we'd get a 15-yard gain and that guy's coming out. So it was just, it was chaotic. It's They're going to be frustrated with that one. And I, other than... Other than preparation, like I don't, I can't, I can't answer it. I don't know. This late in the season, to have that many, like, I view what I saw as a lot of simple mistakes. We're dropping to number three. We're, you know, we're the, you know, front side A gap player. We're the front side B gap player. You know, there's, it's just, I don't know, man. I don't have an answer as to how this late in the season we could play that poorly with as much as we have on the line. 217 yards rushing for one of the worst rushing teams in all of college football. Not yep. good. No. But did enough to win. Turnovers, man. Turnovers. That's I, a pick six a sack fumble and a fumbled exchange on the zone read. They handed us the ball where Balthroyd dives on it. Like those three plays are really, that's the game for them. You know, Retzloff did a lot of great things, but he had, you know, three really bad turnovers. One of them, I guess maybe you could say was, was not him. He should have got rid of the ball quicker once, you know, the Balthroyd covered the flat route, but I don't know, man. I, I can't answer that. I just know that like TCU is better. Yeah, TCU is not a great football team this year, and everyone understands that. But having not really watched a whole lot of them, I I expect them to be better pretty much at every position group offensively than what we saw at BYU. So I've watched I've watched quite a bit of them. Their O line's better. Their skill guys are more talented now. They're having to play Josh Hoover at quarterback. He is not a threat with his legs like Retzloff was. But, yeah, TCU's offense is much more talented than BYU's. Yeah. Well, I, we've got to get some simple things right just to fit up the runs and to relate to some wide receivers and some underneath coverage and stuff. Or, you know, we can lose to anyone. Anything else? I don't think so. All right, let's talk about what we saw from OU's offense against BYU. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. 
Across the country, the Loves Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Loves Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Loves Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamori. The land doctors have a 120-acre property for sale in East Norman, located just 10 minutes from campus. This completely wooded property sits at the intersection of East 120th Street and Tecumseh Road. If you're looking for a quiet place to go spend some time in the outdoors or a nice little hunting spot on the outskirts of town, this place is for you. There are also development and business opportunities with this property as well. Call Colton Cole to schedule a private showing. 405-615-7645 or shoot him an email at colton at landdoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with an ice-cold beer from Coupe Ale Works. You can join at the Palace on the Prairie at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit schoonerale.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. That's a good reminder. Live show at Coupe Works Tap Room. Officially sold out, Ted. Yes. Awesome. We're not losers. Yes. We, well. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Maybe, but hey, we're sold out. That's awesome. I'm looking yeah, forward gonna, to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, OU's offense. So, if you listen to our preview show, you knew that BYU they were going to be in a nickel four two five defense, right? With Eddie Heckard bumping into their nickel position. And that's not what they did at all. They came out in a completely different defense. They had been a four two five team. They came out with three defensive linemen, three linebackers, with two of them walked up at the line of scrimmage in different spots. They moved constantly. They blitzed. They came out and played a completely different defense. They had shown a snap here and a snap there of that type of stuff. I kind of considered it one-off type of stuff. Like, okay, that's really not what they do. It's what they did basically all game wrong. There was, I didn't count them. There was maybe a handful of snaps where they were in basically what they've done all season long defensively. Hmm, that's that's crazy. So they came out, they played an entirely different defense. Your starting quarterback gets hurt, doesn't play the entire second half. You got to play a true freshman in what was a loud environment. Despite it not being full, that place was loud. And you you got the job done. You put together a couple drives late, and you figured out a way to win, especially when your defense didn't have it that day. But when they gave you the ball and they gave you opportunities, you cashed them in. So there's some good, there's some bad. And let's start at the quarterback spot, Ted. Dylan Gabriel knocked out of the game, but thought he was pretty solid in the first half. Uh, The run game really wasn't going in that first half, and it had a lot to do with the different look that BYU was giving them. They were playing very aggressively like I thought they would from a coverage standpoint. Uh, So the run game didn't. Didn't get going. It looked like there was some confusion along the offensive line. But 
I thought that he made some nice throws in that first half. Uh, he did he did a nice job of pushing it down the field in some of the RPO stuff. Where I, I and I liked seeing that from Jeff Lebby. Where you know if he doesn't like the box to hand the football, the RPO throws aren't at or behind the line of scrimmage; they're down the field. Yeah. So I really liked seeing some of that stuff. The touchdown throw to Nick Anderson. That was a really nice throw and a really nice catch. Just a beautiful football play from those two guys. Uh, used his mobility to find Jaden Gibson in the back of the end zone yeah, on that, that long nice. touchdown. That was really nice. But, you know, the play, it appears where he hits his head on the ground. And he definitely, I mean, he definitely hits his head on the ground. We've all seen it by now. But that's one back QB power. Follow your puller, man. He takes it all the way back against the grain to a bunch of unblocked guys and just an unfortunate sequence where he re hits his head. And then on the next play, his last play of the football game, Farouk's open. He wins in the end zone. I mean, there's a touchdown to be had there, but Dylan just doesn't get to him or does it, wasn't willing to wait long enough for it to develop. But he throws it into a crowd to Anderson and to Nick Anderson's credit. Dude just goes full send and lays out when he's about to get blasted, which was a choice. <laughs> but, yeah. but Farouk, he he wins on an out route in the end zone, and that if Dylan sees it, it would have been a touchdown. But I, I thought he was solid in the first half. I loved the energy he had. Just unfortunately, he got knocked out of the game, man. Yeah, yeah. Venable said that he expects him to be back quickly. You know, I. I, I I hope that's the case. Um, good thing that that field is the, maybe the softest field in all of college football, or perhaps the injury could have been worse hitting his head on the field. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm not sure if that was like gamesmanship from BV or we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the official diagnosis is, but you play another game in six days traditionally you don't get cleared in a situation like that, but we'll see. I, yeah. I, I don't know enough of the details. We'll see, but it was Jackson Arnold's show the entire second half of this game. And it was very shaky early for the young guy. Uh, throw throws were there to be made for him on the first two drives. First drive, uh, the one he took off on the long run that got called back for just a, ridiculously terrible block in the back call. Just, oh my gosh, just awful on Stogner. But he takes off. Farouk wins. It's man coverage, Farouk wins. And, and then, the so they get the penalty. They have to snap it again on third down. There are holes in the zone, right? Farouk and Stoops. Those guys are coming open in the holes in the zone, and he just doesn't trust it enough and takes the check down. Uh, the second drive, Bobbles the snap on the first down play. Uh, throws one low to Nick Anderson, so he has no opportunity for yards after the catch, just on a hitch, and then misses Tawi on the third down play, which would have been a first down on that boot concept. So it got off. It got off to a bit of a rough start for Jackson Arnold, which is understandable, right, with the circumstances. Yeah. I think it's understandable. I don't know. I mean, clearly they were looking to redshirt him which I don't know what that means for his preparation for this game this week, like how much, how many of those number two snaps he's getting um, coming in on the road 
when it's tied in the second half, whenever they're running a different scheme than what you had maybe practiced for or spent the majority of your time practice practicing for, you know, the first two drives, the field position was not very good, right? And so you've got that in the back of your mind and you just absolutely can't make a mistake and probably thinking they're maybe more conservative than he needed to be just to just to uh, try and avoid the massive mistake. And But, you know, it felt like after he got those out of the way, he settled in a little bit. Yeah, he definitely did. And one of the key reasons I think he just was able to calm down was the run game got going. They got to more of the gap scheme stuff. And, I mean, looking at the first half, a lot of the zone scheme, whether it was split zone, zone insert, just did not look good, man. It did not look good at all. And then the gap scheme stuff, especially when they got got to it in the second half, BYU just doesn't fit that stuff well Yeah, at backer. They don't fit it. And so you saw some of some of those big runs. We, you finally saw some space, but I, I thought them getting the run game going in that second half was really beneficial to Jackson Arnold. And then, Dude had some big throws, right? The 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 third and 13 early in the fourth quarter, and that's the drive they end up missing the field goal, but that's a really nice throw to Farouk for a first down. Uh, he is absolutely going to want to have the deep ball back that he missed Nick Anderson. I yeah. loved that call by Levy. Very aggressive call, you know, zone insert, play action, double move works perfectly. And he overthrows it. I love the aggressive mentality, but that is, that's one you got to hit. Yep. Yep. That's, I think that's an adrenaline play. You know, you you don't have a whole lot of experience out there. The moment is big. Like you've got to have these plays. You got it. You see it. It's there. And, you know, you just, you're amped up and you overthrow it. So yeah, that I'm sure he's frustrated with that one for sure. But, you know, I I know there's probably going to be a lot of a lot of criticism with the way that he played. And, and I mean, some of it rightfully so. But I considering the situation as a true freshman, I, I still I, I liked what I saw all in all, even though there was some bad in there. He he did some nice things in the run game mm-hmm. on that last drive where they get the ball with 508 left on the clock. BYU never touches it again. As critical as I'm going to be of some of the stuff, that's awesome. Five minutes and you run out the clock in victory formation, that's awesome. But I thought Jackson Arnold, he did some nice things in the running game, especially on that last drive, like great effort. They run QB power lead, and he he goes and picks up a massive first down, just dragging people. And that's good stuff. And then... A lot is being made about the third down throw that sealed the game to Farouk. It's him taking what he's coached to do and applying it on the game field. I I love how people are making it sound like he just changed the play willy-nilly. Like, no, 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 I got this, Jeff. Don't worry. I got it. (laughs) That is a situation, a box out where that's when the box is stacked like that, the quarterback has some options. He did what he's coached to do. 
you know, BYU showing seven in the box, the safety's rolling down to make it eight in that look. The throw on the outside is there. He recognizes the situation. He gets into that. He throws an accurate ball to Farouk. Farouk hangs on after a big collision. Ball game. It is, it's taking what you've been coached to do in the meeting room and on the practice field and applying it to a game situation. And that is, that's impressive for a true freshman. But that's my expectation for Jackson Arnold. Mm -hmm. With everything I've been told about the guy, that's what I expect him to do. I expect him to carry what he's learned throughout the week and then go apply it on on game day in pressure-packed situations. If he's going to be that dude for this program moving forward, which I think we all think he can be that dude, that's what that dude does in that moment. And that's exactly what he did. Yep. That yeah, was big time. That was, uh, that was really cool to see, uh, you know, and I like, I like the, the aggressive nature, you know, it could be easy in that situation to say, um, I know what the right play is, but gosh, given, given where we're at in the football game, maybe it's smarter to just hand it off. Right. Maybe it's smarter just to, to stay with what we've got here and give the football, roll the clock, but he sees an opportunity to win the football game, and he does it. you got to love it. Yeah, and if he ends up having to be the guy against TCU, he's going to have a full week of practice knowing he's going to be the guy, and I think it's going to look he's going to look a lot more comfortable. Plus, you're at home. It's just going to – I think it's going to look a lot smoother, especially early, but young man made the plays when he needed to make them, and yeah. – end up winning the football game. Okay, running back. Tawi Walker, it, it's clear that he's still not healthy, but that's a tough dude. What, five carries for 25 yards, came there, and he, his main role was, hey, let's give Sawchuck a break. And he did a nice job with his opportunities. Gavin Sawchuck, another 100-yard day. A lot of it in the second half where he displayed some really good patience in some of in some of the gap scheme runs. And then on what ended up being the game-winning run, that's just an excellent individual effort. They run inside zone. There's not much space initially at all. He runs through him, through an arm tackle that would have been a TFL from a defensive lineman for BYU. And then he, what, stiff arms two guys? That's just an excellent individual effort. And as it developed, Caden Green, oh, just <laughs> absolutely buried one of their inside backers. It was awesome. But I continue to like what we're seeing from Gavin Sawchuck. He's getting better and better. And he showed some better things in pass protection. Ted, him and Caden Green, they finally passed off the mug backer pick between the offensive guard and the running back. They finally did it. It was nice. tremendous. I was very nice. excited. Very excited when I watched it. But, yeah, Sawchuck, it's clear, hey, he's he's RB1, and it's just not even a debate anymore on this team. Yeah, that's good to see him getting better in the in the pass protection game. That's always the most difficult um, to get guys that are, you know, as willing and aggressive at that as they are whenever they ha they've got the ball in their hands and you know it's something that most guys have zero experience with whenever they come to college so it's usually the thing that takes the longest so that's good to see good to hear wide receiver 
those guys got challenged pretty much the majority of the game. And I was interested to see how the game was going to be officiated. And they let it all go. I mean, grabbing, holding. Drake Stoops got tackled multiple times. No flag. Just tackled. And he gets up and his arms are out. He's like, really? No flag. But I thought Drake ended up four for 63. Had a couple of big plays in the first half. And the the matchup between him and Heckard was pretty fun to watch, but didn't there was not a ton of separation created really by anyone other than the Nick Anderson play on the double move. And I was a little surprised they didn't try more double move stuff early to all that man to man. Yeah, with all that man to man to maybe make BYU's defensive backs think a little more about that stuff as the game went on. But it is what it is. Jalil Farouk, he made some big catches in this one. None none bigger than the, the slant from Jackson Arnold to seal it. Glad he's all right. Was dancing in the locker room and all that stuff, but that was a hell of a collision. But Farouk had some big, big third down catches in this one. Yeah. No, he, he had a, a really nice day. You know, Drake Stoops, I thought, you know, with the start that he got, I thought he was going to have a really big, uh, really big day. And he almost made what two impossible catches, right? They, yeah, they were not like they would have been great had he made it. It was like, I don't even know how he got as close as he did to making them. It was, they were that type of catches. Um, yeah, Farouk, that tough play there at the end. And you know what I like to see, and kind of what I wish we did more of was whenever people challenge us like that just let the guys go win some one-on-ones, you know, some of those comeback routes, I think we do a good job on, you know, I think we, we have good route runners, but it's not really our system to just let guys go out there and go to work and man-to-man coverage. It's always built off of, you know, some of the RPO stuff and everything. I, I, I wish we allowed our wideouts to go take advantage of some matchups a little bit more, but, you know, we, we got the good tough ones when we needed them. Yeah, Nick Anderson, the stat line would have looked drastically different if him and Jackson Arnold connect on the deep ball, but his his touchdown catch was fantastic from Dylan Gabriel. Just great throw, great catch. Jaden Gibson, huge impact. Huge impact in the first half of this football game. Only two catches, but two for 82. And one set up a touchdown, and the other one was a touchdown. And the thing that stood about watching him on tape, he looked fast. Yes, he did. Uh, he was yes. covering some serious ground with those long strides. He looked like the fastest player on Oklahoma's team in the game. I agree with that. And I was thinking about it, and I was, I was like, is it because of the of the grass? I mean, he's already fast to begin with. I'm not saying he's not, but it almost feels like a long strider and that type of situation with the big long legs is probably able to cover a lot more ground running through that thick grass whatever it is but I agree he looked fast my only issue I I love everything Jaden Gibson's about I love the attitude I love um I love the edge that he plays with but he does some he does some dumb things out there after the whistle that he's really close to costing his team in a big situation. And 
I, I don't, I just, I don't want that for him. I don't want that for the team. Hey, he's, he's not even on the line. He's past the line of some of the stuff that you should be doing. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'd rather tell a guy, Hey, you need to chill out. Then, Hey, let's crank this up. Like there's a play. Sawchuck has a long run and Jaden Gibson blocks seven, number seven, their corner into the bench. And then lets him know about it. Gets in his face and lets him know about it. And I'm watching on tape going, excellent. I'm fine with I, that. I would rather a guy flirt with the line than not. Well, I'm I think we need that. more of those if, guys. If I, he's going to be that, straight up. If he's going to do that, I'm 100% okay with it. If he's one of the 11 active participants on the field at the time, right? It's stuff that I, where he's like, it's like clearly he's about to get like, like something bad is going to happen, you know, where he's like coming from the sideline and stuff. That's what I'm worried about on the field. I got no problem with any of that. Okay. As long as he's an active participant in the play. Fair, <laughs> fair tied in uh, Austin Stogner had a really nice catch in this game. They asked him to do a lot in the running game at the point of attack. The the zone insert stuff that had been so good for this team. It was not it was it was very cloudy. And it looked a lot of the time because what D BYU was doing defensively with that look, he looked very unsure of not only who to go to but where to insert. Like, do I go all the way around to the front side? Can I fit in the back side? There's a couple of times he just looks at, he just sticks his head and just kind of plows forward. And I understand it. It There just wasn't a, there wasn't a clear picture in those concepts, but he, he continues to battle as a blocker. Um, offensive line. Thought the tackles played well, thought the interior struggled. The group as a whole looked hesitant in the first half coming off the football and I have I have made my displeasure about the lack of velocity this group comes off with known uh, at this point I think everyone knows but it was it was even worse in this game because I think with what BYU threw at them with that structure they were just a little unsure and there was just no velocity coming off the football I mean, some of these, I sent you a couple of the clips. Some of the some of the runs, the zone insert runs, it looks like quick game pass protection. Yeah. And it just it it doesn't look the way that it's supposed to look, in my opinion. Uh there's just very little velocity coming off the ball. It, it's clear that gap scheme runs are what this group does best. And and Levy, to Levy's credit, he got to more of those in the second half. One just really thing that bothers me, and I, I want your opinion on it, Ted. They had multiple snaps on third down inside the five-yard line where every offensive lineman's in a two-point stance. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's third and goal from the three or four and everyone's in a two point stance, basically screaming, Hey guys, we are definitely not running the ball here. Yeah. Which I, 
I just don't recall seeing that from a Bill Beanbo offensive line before. That is puzzling to me. That is making it easy on the defense. Yes. I, you know, I've, you've, people that have listened to this podcast for a long time have, have heard me talk about, like, you on defense, you can, you can, like, there's like a body language and, like, you can feel a, an aggressive nature from the offense or, like, a, like a softer nature from the offense just by the way that they line up. And a lot of that is from the offensive line. And whenever you're inside the five-yard line, the thing that's always in your brain defensively is what if they just kind of wedge it, quick snap it, and run the dive like right up the middle, right? That's what always worries you whenever, especially if you've got pass responsibilities. But if I if you come up there and you're on the, the three-yard line and – You've got like a real soft feeling from the offensive line. Absolutely, that makes it way easier on you to to give a little more um, thought and attention to where your pass coverage is going to be. Yeah, so didn't love that. But Walter Rouse, uh, I thought he played the best of anybody. It was his kind of game, if that makes sense. BYU is a let's run through your group, not a let's run around your group. And that fits perfectly into Rouse's strengths. Uh, thought he was good in the run game. Uh, thought he was really solid in pass protection. Uh, did did some nice things. Uh, I, I thought he played. I thought he played well. One of the things you got guys falling all over the place, right? Rouse was always on his feet, always balanced. So I, I liked. Uh, I liked what I saw from him. Caden Green. I was just going to say quickly on Rouse. It's a good thing he got a a week of work with the run through you mentality for uh, what he's blocking at TCU. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll see if, uh, yeah, we'll see if they play their nose guard over the left tackle again, like they did against Texas. <laughs> that was, whoa. Kelvin Banks got wrecked in that Texas TCU matchup by Dom Williams. My goodness. Buckle up if it takes place, Walter Rouse. We'll get to that on Wednesday's episode. Uh, Caden Green, it's about as up and down as he's been. Uh, he struggled with with some of the movement that BYU did uh, with that three-down look, with the linebackers, walked up there at the line of scrimmage. There were some There were some instances, really for the first time, where I went, okay, yeah, he needs to get stronger. You know, BYU's got some mature guys on that defensive line. There's just some moments where you're like, okay, yeah, he is a true freshman. There, That showed up a little bit in this game for really the first time, but he also had some really nice moments. He, he does some things every game that just make you go, oh, that's awesome. Uh, absolutely destroyed 31 on Sawchuck's game-winning touchdown run. What ended up being the game-winning touchdown run? That was there. There are just moments where you get really, really excited about his future. Uh, Andrew Ram, he really struggled with the surface. I I thought that out of any of the O linemen, he struggled the most with what was going on with the grass. Just fell down a lot. Was slipping in pass protection quite a few times. And his bad plays in this game were bad. I mean, really bad. But. He he did some good things. I uh, thought he he did a decent job of getting everyone going in the same direction. Uh, I I thought he was good 
other than the times where he was on the ground in pass protection, I thought he was pretty damn good anchoring when he got his cleats in the ground. He still has got to grab more guys in the run game. I just, I don't know what I have to do to get him to grab people. I just, I don't understand it, but was what it was. McCade Matoyer, too tentative, just too tentative coming off the ball uh, for me in this one. And I, I'm not expecting Cade to just come off the rock and maul people. That's, that's not what he is as a player, but I, I thought he showed some moments where normally I think he's extremely aware and anticipates movement well and kind of how to react to that. I thought he had some moments in this one where he, he didn't anticipate the movement. He didn't see and see it coming. He kind of lacked some awareness, but he was, I, I, I didn't think for what I expect from him, I didn't think he played particularly well in this one. And then Jacob Sexton, I, I mean, he had the early false start, but other than that, I I can ride with this guy, man. I love the way he plays. I love the energy he plays with. I love the velocity he comes off the ball with. One of my favorite things about him, we we talked about this group being a little unsure at times. When Jacob Sexton's unsure, he still just flies around. He may not know where he's going. Doesn't care. He's going somewhere fast. And physical. And there, there's something, I, I just appreciate that. Uh, that is a, it's an excellent quality to have. You would love all players to know exactly what their assignment is 100% of the time. Uh, that typically never happens. Guys are going to be in the wrong place or line up wrong or whatever. But if you're going to make a mistake and you're doing it a thousand miles an hour, we can work with it. I I completely agree. One one thing, I think he's really good. He's getting much better at getting his pad level down on the gap scheme double teams. He just needs to stay on the down guy longer. I think he he plays fast, which I love, but I think he can be a little more patient, getting a little more movement on the down guy before he climbs to the second level. So that's something I I think he can improve on, but I think out of anyone, when you talk about the young offensive lineman we've seen this year, and it's really just him and Caden Green at this point, I think I'm most excited about Sexton. Hmm. Just the movement. I, you know me. I love offensive linemen that can really move. Well, yeah, I, I think that says a lot considering he's And I'm, everyone off. knows how excited I am about Caden Green at guard. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm really... I'm really, really excited about what Sexton can be as a player. Yeah, and, and that's a guy that missed essentially the whole offseason, right? And, you know, he's doing the rehab and everything, and so he's behind where he would have been. So the fact that that's the case I think is is really exciting. All right, let's get to call your shot. Anything You got anything else offensively that stood out to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he covered it pretty good. All right, let's get to call your shot. We ask you guys your number one takeaway from OU's win over BYU. This first one comes from the lazy philosopher who says, Gentry Williams is missed more than discussed. Yeah. He's yeah, we, down there on the sideline. Yeah, I, I'm sure he 
he could have gone with what he's dealing with, but maybe you hoped you could get through a week and, or I, I, I don't know, but yeah, he is, he's our most aggressive corner. You know, he, he sheds blocks. He comes up and tackles, um, you know, he, I think he does a really good job. Now, I didn't see us get beat. A whole, Josiah Wagner gave up that that little fade route, you know, down the sideline. It was a really good throw and catch. I, some of that stuff is going to happen. Um, and I agree that we missed Gentry Williams, but I corner was the least of our problems on Saturday. I, I'm not saying that we don't miss him at corner. We do. And we could stand to get better there, absolutely a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's probably one of the spots that you really kind of focus in on on defensively, where where we've got to take the next step. But I our our biggest problem was interior uh, linebacker. It, I mean, linebackers had a bad day, but yeah, I yeah. can't disagree with this sentiment. Uh, this other one comes from Andrew Rogers, and we touched on it a little bit. But he says, easy, the worst field in perhaps all of college football, regardless of division. I, so, in the tunnel after the game, or right outside locker room after the game, I talked to an OU fan that listens to the podcast. He is a golf course superintendent. He was there to help consult on that field. And he told me, it is awful. And this is a guy who knows grass, man. Like, that's that's his thing. And he was talking about how just terrible it is. And I guess they're going to rip it up and start over. Yeah. That, that field, what's the best way to put it? That field has, it has too significant of an impact on the football game. You cannot allow the Big 12 conference has to step in and do something. I, I'd like, and it's not just OU that's had a problem with it. BYU's guys slip all over the place. Yeah. It's, I don't want the field to have that big of a role in the football game. You know, I love natural grass, man. If you got to put in turf, you got to put in turf because that field, it, it, it determines the outcome of the game too much for me. I want the game to be decided by the players and the coaches, not the damn grass. Yeah. It's one thing to have a field that is slick and guys are falling all over the place when you've had really bad conditions and bad weather, but that's just not the case. I almost sent you a clip of a defensive play. Like they throw it out to uh, the defense is right. And everyone's like pursuing over there. And then whenever they all go like to stop, they all like slide and fall down, <laughs> just like on a normal on a normal play. It's it's crazy. Like I I don't know that I've ever seen anything that bad for guys. I mean, guys will slip, and I think there's there's a there's a learning curve to playing on that type of field, but it was definitely beyond where it should have been. Yeah, it made it made Iowa State's field look sturdy. Which is something. <laughs> the I, I'm dead serious. If if they can't get that figured out, the Big Twelve needs to step in and make them put turf in. Yeah, you you cannot you cannot have a playing surface that has that big of an effect on the football game. I just, that, no one wants that. 
No. Players don't want it. Coaches don't want it. Fans don't. Fans don't want to watch that. I didn't get a chance to go down there and see it like you did, but whenever I was looking at the field from the the booth with binoculars, I the amount of green sand filling in the divots like at a golf course was crazy. It was everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that they got to fix that. All right, let's recap some of the best games from week 12 in college football. But first, John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. Tell them we sent you, and they'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open at 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. College football week 12. Let's start in Ames. The Texas Longhorns went and got the win 26-16 over Iowa State. Ted, this game had all the ingredients for Texas to get beat, right? Yeah, the the Jonathan Brooks injury, aims at night. But to their credit, they took care of business. They moved to 10 and 1. And I, I I don't know how impressed I was by the way that they played, but it was clear that they were a better football team than Iowa State. Iowa State's offense just could not match the big plays that Texas was able to produce during this game. And I, I thought that was the difference. They they just couldn't find those plays offensively. I thought the Iowa State defense played tough, man. I thought they yeah. played really – they played about as well as you can ask them to play. Just couldn't get enough from, from Rocco Becht in that offense. Yeah. I thought, I thought Ewers looked good. Um, Agreed. You know, he made some really nice throws, escaping the pocket, getting out, and – and putting the ball downfield. And it seems like that's where Iowa State really got hurt is whenever he would extend and then they'd be hanging on to coverage and they were able to create something. Uh, yeah, I the, the front seven of Texas is really, really good. And they've, they've controlled the football games. Like everywhere else, they're, it's like they're, they're just kind of hanging on. But that interior – defensive line and front seven makes it really, really difficult for other teams to ever really get anything established. 
Um, Iowa State had some opportunities they just couldn't capitalize on. And, you know, they created a couple some points doing some some nice stuff, right? Just to, you know, put the ball in the end zone. But yeah, Texas got it done when they needed to. That's a that's a nice win for Texas, considering everything that's on the line. And that game was close and probably too close for comfort early. And they were able to extend and, and hold Iowa State at base. Pretty pretty good performance by them. I can only imagine how much you love the first half of this game. Defense and field goals. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, what I, it was. I, and hey, Bert Auburn, he was a difference maker in the game. That's right. What, three for three? Yep. That's right. That's a it's a different football game if if they're inconsistent at kicker, which you know, that's something that we didn't even hit on. Uh, you know, we missed another chip shot field goal ourselves. So um that's a problem, especially whenever we're we're leaving such a small margin for error. We can't afford to to be missing field goals. So, yeah, that was pretty good win by uh, by Texas. You mentioned that defense, and, and it's what I expected. Iowa State was just completely one dimensional in this game. Their running backs had sixteen carries for twenty three yards. Yeah, they, they they could not run the football against that Texas defense credit to Byron Murphy and Devondre sweat and that group. They just, they just shut that stuff down and Rocco Beck. He, he didn't make enough plays in the flow of their offense in the passing game. And it's hard to do that when you have to be that one dimensional against the talented defense. When you can never get to good down and distances to run some stuff, it becomes very difficult. Yeah, and you think about the scoring plays they did have. He threw the beautiful ball to Eli Sanders, but then they get the extra point blocked. It gets returned for a two-point conversion. It would have been 13-10. to Instead, it's 15-9. to Uh, In a game like that one, that's really significant, and you talk about how it affects the team and the momentum and the crowd and all of that stuff. The the fourth-and-one run fake, Throw it to the tight end. That was pretty sweet. That was very sweet. That but nice. that's what they had to do to produce big exactly. plays, and you're just – it's not sustainable, man. Yep. No, I agree. That's It was a – I credit Iowa State for like finding ways to generate some points and to stay in the, in the fight, but uh, Texas was just too much for them. I still think that if – they can continue to work on their offensive line and and get a running game for Rocco Beck that he's going to be a, a dangerous quarterback. I'm with you. I agree. Texas in a very good position to make the Big 12 championship game and in a very good position to make a college football playoff. So we'll see what it looks like for the Longhorns over these next couple weeks. Moving on, Washington went to Corvallis and the weather looked miserable. <laughs> it was like cold and like a sludge from the sky. It was, oh, it looked miserable. And, and Washington, what, didn't score a point in the second half? But to their credit, you draw up an environment, a style of game that you would say, hey, yeah, Washington ain't winning that one. And they did. Weather was awful. Oregon State wanted to run it and be super physical, and they got it done. 
on the road in a tough environment and they're 11 and 0. Yeah, it's that's really impressive. That's a that is a really really good Oregon State football team. Late in the year, you've seen everything Washington has to offer um just to keep the level of play that they have be it, I mean, it hasn't all been pretty. They've snuck past and and got some wins and some and some poorly played games on their end and and fought through some stuff, but to go get that one at Oregon State, now that's big time. Um I I'm eleven and zero from Washington at this point in the season is incredibly impressive. No doubt. Now there there were some there were some issues catching the football in this one, but when you talk about a game that comes down to probably a handful of plays, Oregon State, you end up losing by two and you gave up a safety because the deep snapper fires it over the punter's head and the punter has to kick it soccer style, kick it through the back of the end zone. That, that hurts you in a game where you lose 22 to 20, obviously safety and two turnovers, you know, yeah, uh, that's, that's the difference in the football game. Well, that and Roma Dunze, he yeah. good. Uh, I mean, Penix was, I, I thought that that wide receiver core would be a little too much for Oregon State. And Roma Dunze was that dude in this game. Seven for 106, uh, two touchdowns. I had the big catch on the last drive to seal this thing. Uh, as much as... As good of a job as Damian Martinez did in that ground game with Oregon, and they played that style. He did. He had that big fumble, but Washington made the plays in the passing game. Oregon State just couldn't make them. Ted, you look at DJ Uyunglele's final line: 164 yards passing, two interceptions, no touchdowns. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. You got to be able to to make some big plays against a, a team like like Washington and Penix. But man, I it's it's crazy. I wash if Washington goes undefeated, and the I, I their schedule has been incredibly tough. It's been a brutal, brutal schedule. So if they're able to march through that undefeated. And it's not like it's it's going to be easy next week, you know. They've got they've got a rivalry game with a, a good football team, a dangerous football team. Impressive. And I I I didn't think that they would be where they are right now. I've I picked Oregon State to win the football game. I've picked against Washington a couple of times now, and they keep proving me wrong. You know, well, you didn't factor in Jabbar Muhammad, former Oklahoma State Cowboy. Dude's a hell of a corner, man. Yeah. Two massive plays in this game with the interceptions, but yeah, that's a all things considered, the environment, the style, Corvallis, <laughs> Corvallis at night, for them to go win that type of game in that weather, that's big time stuff from Kalen DeBoer's crew. Uh, that is that's impressive, and yeah, they've got they've got Washington State next week at home to complete. The perfect regular season. That'd be really, really impressive if they pull that off. But no doubt, again, Washington State, tough football team. Yeah, they look good on Saturday, so that'll be an interesting one. Final game: Kansas State went to Kansas and beat Kansas for the fifteenth time in a row. 
Crazy. Kansas State wins 31-27. And you know what my number one takeaway from this game is? What? Lance Leipold's a hell of a football coach. There ain't no kidding on that one. Uh, uh, 31-27, Jayhawks played their freshman third-street quarterback, Cole Boward, and still had every opportunity to win this one. In those black jerseys, those things. I can't decide if I love them or hate them. I'm still on the fence. Yeah, I... I probably, they got to be sick that they let that one get away. I know, man. It's I I I keep treating them as the old Kansas, and it's like, well, at least it, you played a good, tough game. But you know, they've had some of those where they should have won, and I I I don't know. I I think it's one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen with how like historically god-awful Kansas was not just for a year or two years or a handful of years for like 15 years just like a one or two win season at best and turn into a legitimate threat in the Big 12 one of the better teams in the Big 12 it's impressive yeah and it doesn't look like it's changing and they were up 27-16, early third. Right, Devin Neal scores. I believe that was his third rushing touchdown in the game. But they didn't score a single point the rest of the way. Uh, that is, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for that group. But you talk about it all the time, man. In close games, oftentimes it comes down to special teams. And Kansas, uh, Trevor Wilson must the punt. Gives the ball to the Wildcats around midfield, and of course they cash in on the mistake. They're late uh, all, with that Will Howard touchdown run. Jayhawks, if all he does, if he just fair catches it right there, Jayhawks would have had the lead and great field position, but instead, just an absolute brutal mistake. And one play never costs you the football game. That's not how this sport works, but. That was a critical, critical special teams error for the Jayhawks. Yeah. And the the turnovers and uh, you or there's a there's a common theme in a lot of these games with the losing teams, right? Giving up the a blocked extra point for a two point conversion, uh, a safety, you know, snapping it over someone's head, uh, putting two points up there. Like these mistakes, uh, a muffed punt, I. Those mistakes, especially whenever you are uh, like considered to be the maybe not the traditionally stronger team in the moment, like you, those are the those are the areas that you have to be best at. Uh, you cannot give free points and free drives to these these good football teams. They'll they'll absolutely turn your lights out. One one thing, Kansas drove the ball late. Right. And Ballard ends up throwing the interception in the end zone. If you just have an incompletion there, then Kansas State's backed up a little bit. I, I think they're at the 10 yard line, maybe the 11. He throws the interception in the end zone on, on the fourth down play. And credit to credit to Kansas State for ending the game with the ball in their hands. What that was five, five minutes and 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter when Ballard throws that interception in the end zone. 
Kansas State ran it seven straight times. They completed one pass, took a knee, game over. Hmm. It's what the Sooners did as well. That's that's how you finish your game. Yep. That's big time. When Kansas thought they were going to get coming. it back and they never saw it again. Yep. That's that's what good teams do at the end is, you know, if if, if we can hang on to the ball, run the clock out, especially on the road, hand the ball to the official, jog off the field, get in, get on the bus, let's go home. Like that that's impressive. And it it makes you wonder, well, why didn't you do that the whole game? Um I don't know. Sometimes things just unfold the way they unfold, but Kansas State still still in the fight. Will Howard with a nice performance and an absolute, just a fantastic quote after this one. There is no better feeling than beating little brother. 15 in a row for Kansas State over Kansas. Yeah, and like whenever you grab it from them, whenever they're they're at a good level and they're playing really good, it's like that's the most frustrating uh, it gets for for Kansas. But they ain't going anywhere. They're going to be around as long as they can hold on to Leipold and Cottlenicky. I'm with you, man. I'm I'm excited about the future of that program. Let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first. Bishop you have difficulties. Oh, dude. Oh, I, no. I cut you off. I it's okay. Off. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. We'll try it again. But first, <laughs> do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing, and the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA Athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I think this is two in a row for me, taking Georgia as my winner of the weekend. But they handled Tennessee with no problems. What was the final? 38-10, something like 38 that. 38 to 10 in Knoxville. In Knoxville. They are absolutely rolling. They are clearly the best team in college football. Here's what's interesting. That was their 28th win in a row. 28 straight. Now, I've always said that the 47-game win, win streak by Oklahoma is absolutely untouchable in this day and age. And I still think it is. But they're at 28 in a row. If they run the table and win a national championship this year, that'll be 32 straight. And then you start looking at next year, I I don't know that they're going to get to 47, but 
they may get really close. They would have to go undefeated again next year to tie the number to get to 47. But 28 games in a row in this day and age in college football in a playoff format, that is incredible. If they finish this year undefeated and they'll be 30, that'll be 32 straight wins. I, that is I, unheard of, in my opinion. I still think the best scenario possible is OU's really good next year and they play Georgia in the SEC championship game to end it. You got a chance to end the streak or else it's probably going down. And here is, here's the thing with that football team. And I've been building up to this point with the way I've been talking about this guy over the last couple of weeks. I think Carson Beck's the best quarterback in college football. The way that he is playing, the way that he's driving the ball down the field, I think he's better. I think he's the best pure passer in all of college football. I think he's better than Caleb Williams. I think he's better than Drake May. I think he's better than Michael Penix. No one's spinning it better than Carson Beck right now. No one. And yeah. if he comes back, because he can leave, and I think he, I think he's going to have to end up going because I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. But if he comes back, if Georgia's collective can put together the proper funds, that's going to put OU's, that's going to put the 47 game winning streak in serious jeopardy if he's back next season. It's crazy, right? That, that they've put themselves in that position. And, um, you know, I, I, I said plain and simple that Georgia's going to have to make a believer out of me that they can replace a quarterback that won two national championships for him. They've done it. They've, not only replaced them, but they've improved substantially, perhaps. So, yeah, they are absolutely rolling. Uh, there is no doubt. There's no doubt. They Does it feel like everyone's just played for second at this point? That's how it's starting to feel, right? Yeah. Alabama's going to have to beat them in the SEC championship game. Um. I to have a chance to get in or to get in, I guess, but and they're playing really good right now, but even that feels like it's just not something that they're going to be capable of. Right. It just feels like Georgia is peaking at the right time. Yeah. They've gotten healthier on offense. Yeah. Like all their weapons are back. I don't know, man. It's college football. You never know. Never know. But that team looks, Ooh, they look good. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I had to go with the University of Southern California. <laughs> How many times have you done? <laughs> well, you know, um, I call it how I see it. And it. I think that – I think expectations out there got ahead of, of, you know, what realistically the hole that they were in. And, and what all needed to happen with that program. And I think that that's really what's going on is USC is a victim of um, 
they're a victim of the expectations that people have placed on them. And I don't know, maybe they placed them on themselves, but um, like what's gone on out there is wild. The, the turnaround that we've had in the public perception of that program and what's going to happen with it, where it's going to be has been incredible to watch. (laughs) Is that like the craziest 180 you've ever seen? Well, I think the best the best way to gauge how things are going for a program is usually just seeing how the fans feel. And my timeline on Twitter was flooded with all the OU fans were right. They warned us. We didn't listen to them. We should have. They warned us. It's not going well. And this has been... You think about what their season was a year ago and all the excitement and all the USC fans dunking on OU fans for the struggles that we had a year ago. And now I think, I don't think anyone feels better about the future of USC than they do about the future of Oklahoma. No. No. But this is, this is the main problem for Lincoln Riley right now. At USC, when they have played physical football teams, they lose. UCLA UCLA played Ethan Garbers in this game. He was 18 of 31 for 155 yards. Now, there are three touchdowns, no interceptions, but they just beat him up at the line of scrimmage. USC could not run the football at all. There's your problem. Caleb Williams, he can't do it all himself, man. Now, he still should do media after the game. That's silly. Yeah, but I didn't see that. I didn't see that he didn't do media. Yeah, and USC made it clear that it was his choice not to do it. They announced that he had elected not to do post-game media. Subtly throwing your star quarterback on the bus is fine. But uh, do you see Dan Mullins tweet? I did. I did. That's wild. Um, I again. I think the. I think USC right now is a victim of the expectations that they created. Um. Whenever you saw the schedule that USC had this year, and and really looked at what they were as a football team, you knew it was going to be an ugly year. You knew it was going to be really difficult for him. Um, so I, I like to me, that's the biggest thing. Now I don't, I don't think Lincoln Riley grasped how difficult that job was going to be. I think he expected that he's going to take over and they're going to be the best recruiting team out on the West coast without any problems. And, you know, life was going to be easy, but it, I think it's become way more difficult of a of a challenge than he expected. No doubt. Also, just looking at the UCLA game in particular, first of all, maybe the best uniform game in all of college football. Pretty good. Just, hey, and the OU-BYU game was an awesome uniform matchup as well. But they're not good enough to lose the turnover battle 3-0 no. and win football games. Just 
just not going to happen. Stop fumbling the football. But yeah, that is they're seven and five. They went seven and five with the best player in all of college football at the most important position in the sport. Not good. Nope. Nope. Not good. Not good. And well, here's the thing is it's not good, but it's also like they, they haven't been able to get the help like on the line of scrimmage and and some different things that I think that they, they thought they were going to be able to get. And it's become backyard football with Caleb Williams, just scrambling around crazy, trying to make things happen, which I think a lot of that, he creates problems for himself. Like he makes a lot of great things happen when he does that, but it also is no way to play, to win football games consistently. So, I mean, there's just, they got a lot of problems and I honestly, I don't know what the future holds. I, cause the pressure seems pretty intense. Bill Plaschke, that <laughs> man's firing off headlines already. Jeez. They are, uh, they are not pleased out there on the West coast with uh with what Lincoln Riley did this season i we'll see man yeah i don't it, think the move to the big 10 helps yeah. anything no no and the way oregon and washington are playing and uh, yeah i he's created a more it is USC right now with Lincoln Riley at the helm is a more difficult rebuild than it was before he took the job because the, the fight that he has against the public perception of how he runs a football team is almost unwinnable for him. I don't know how he recovers from it. Could USC have a, Jimbo Fisher type contract on their hands. Yeah. I mean, I, now it's a private it's, school. We don't know what it looks like. Yeah. But you're, I'm assuming it's all guaranteed and it's a massive number. Some people have estimated his buyout to be like $90 million or something like that. But I have no idea. We'll let them deal with that problem, I guess. Not our problem. Not our problem. All right, let's finish up with my winner and loser. But first. Elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top-of-the-line heaters to keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. They're Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy. With more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Forms Best in State Bank, the Oklahoma's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reader Rankings, it's clear they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything FFB offers. 
Open an account at an award-winning bank today at ffb.com. First Fidelity Bank, we go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. For my winner of the weekend, thought about going with New Mexico State, the Fighting Jerry Kills. Did you Dang. see that? Yeah. 31-10 to 10 beatdown of Auburn in Jordan-Hare Stadium. That's crazy, man. <laughs> Jordan-Hare Stadium. They got worked. Wow. Good for you, New Mexico State. But my winner of the weekend, the Arizona Wildcats. They smacked Utah. 42-18. They are now an 8-3 and three football team. And they jumped all over Utah early in this one. Trick play touchdown, blocked a punt for a touchdown, and just kept pouring it on. It was 28 to nothing in the blink of an eye, dude. And Utah, they're not built to come from behind like that. Bryson Barnes, Bryson Barnes threw it 53 times in that game. That's not Utah's typical recipe for success in a football no. game. But I was really impressed with the level of physicality from Arizona, especially those jerseys were horrendous, but they were playing well. The gray pants, I don't know who's making the choices there, but that is an <laughs> ugly look for the Wildcats. But, hey, if you're going to play like that, if Noah Fafita is going to continue to be awesome at the quarterback spot for him, if Jonah Coleman's going to continue to rip off some big runs, who cares what the jerseys look like? I know this, man. Jed Fish can coach. Yes, he can. He can coach. They were they were one and eleven in year one. They were five and seven last year. And now they're eight and three, and they are a good football team. So I just really, really impressed with what he's been able to accomplish there at Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know, they are just kicking themselves over their three losses. Yeah. Right? Oh, they're just kicking themselves. They're close to being, I mean, uh, easily nine, perhaps ten win football team right now uh, with, with some games that they let slip away. I, it's You're pissed if you're Arizona. It's like, yes, what a season. This is amazing. But it's one of those where is it so good that you're going to lose your coach? Yeah, and I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. <laughs> He's done such a nice job this year. Now, he doesn't have a huge body of work, so maybe that's what prevents him from getting a, you know, an A&M or a Michigan State or even like a Mississippi State. Maybe he needs to prove it a little more, but you mentioned the losses. They lost to Mississippi State in overtime on the road. So Zach Selman had a front row seat for that one. Yep. They, they lost to today. Washington. They lost to Washington by seven. Mm-hmm. And then they lost to USC in triple overtime when they should have gone for two in the first overtime and they probably would have won the game. I think they would I think they would handily beat Mississippi State and USC if they replayed those games. Handily. I agree. But you obviously you can't do that. Uh you know, Arizona's got they've got some issues uh 
on their hands right now. And keeping a coach could be difficult. Um, coming up with some what, dollar $240 million dollars of what just misspent money for the athletics department. Like what, what happened? I don't know. Like all of a sudden they run their athletic department, like the department of defense where (laughs) 240 million just up and vanishes in the wind. I have no idea. Um, But you know, it's interesting, You, you know, they smacked Utah. I think both Arizona, if they can hang on to fish, and I, I, I personally think Utah may end up being the crown of the Big Twelve. After, especially after seeing Salt Lake City for myself, where that campus is, and it's a huge airport hub. You can get there direct flight from almost, you know, most places in the country. Especially like if you're all of a sudden going to be playing in Texas a bunch and recruiting in the state of Texas more than they have. There's direct flight out of Dallas, not like tons of them to Salt Lake city all throughout the day. I bet there's 10 flights out of Dallas a day that go to Salt Lake city. There's also, there's also a lot of Polynesians in the state of Texas that all of a sudden Utah, you may be playing a lot of games in your home state. If you go to Utah, they're, they're going to tap into that that poly demographic in the state as well. There's, there's just no doubt about it. They're already really good. And a lot of people compare them to Kansas state rightfully. So rightfully. So like, uh, like what Iowa state has, has done rightfully. So, but think about how difficult it is to get to Manhattan, Kansas and how difficult it is to get to Ames, Iowa and how easy it is to get to Salt Lake city. And all that Salt Lake City has to offer. I mean, I was blown away by by Salt by what I think that that place is capable of. And it's a big enrollment, thirty thousand bigger in Oklahoma. We really liked Salt Lake City. <laughs> yes, we did. We yes, had a good time. A lot of breweries. A lot of breweries. Beer was good. For my loser of the weekend, oh, I hate it for him. The Florida State Seminoles moved to eleven and zero. But it came at a great cost, uh, one fifty-eight to thirteen over North Alabama, and North Alabama got off to a great start. And everyone was looking at the box score, going, "Wait, hold on here, let's flip to the CW to see what's going on." And then Jordan Travis with just a brutal leg in- injury in the first quarter. Uh, if you saw the play, it doesn't take a doctor to recognize that your leg is not supposed to face that direction. I- I'm just hoping that. He doesn't have any long-term damage. But we've seen guys have similar injuries that just were never the same, Ted. But you're playing a bye game against an FCF, FCS opponent. It's the it's like the worst-case scenario. Your star quarterback goes out with a brutal leg injury. Just absolutely brutal for Mike Norvell and for the guys on that football team. That was That was tough to watch, man. Yeah, it, it is. And I can only imagine – I haven't seen the play. I've done a good job of avoiding it. I have I already know what I'm going to see anyways with it. But I can imagine, like, the – like what it felt like in that stadium for the rest of that game, right? Whenever 
you've got an undefeated season going. You've got all of these hopes and aspirations and your star player goes down and you're, you're obviously feeling for him and his future and for the team and what they've gone through and their future. And it's just a, it's, it makes you sick to your stomach uh, for, for that team, those coaches, the fan base, but see what happens. And I wonder yeah. what effect that has with the college football playoff. Uh, I think it'll have a large one, a yeah. significant effect. It, it, they're 11 and 0, but they're not the same team with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback. They're just not. I, I think that Washington should definitely jump them with Travis's injury. And honestly, I wouldn't mind if Oregon and Texas and Alabama all jump them as well. I, I know that that's harsh, but they couldn't have lost a more important player. Yeah. I mean, he's the most important player on their football team. And they still have Florida, and then they've got Louisville in the ACC championship game. Not an easy road. I, I, don't, I don't know if they make it, make it through those two unscathed. The committee might leave them like kind of where they've been and just kind of let things take care of themselves, so to speak, perhaps, you know? Just to avoid the backlash from a bunch of ang- from the Florida State mob. Yeah. It's like we'll just it's like uh we fixed the glitch in accounting. We'll just let it kind of take its course from office space. Maybe they do that, but I don't know. It I don't think it's an overreaction. It just kind of feels like Florida State's not a contender anymore with this injury. I, I wasn't sure they could match up with your Michigans, your Bamas, your Georgias, uh, Ohio State, like those types of teams. I, I just have a ton of doubt now with Jordan Travis being out. It's one thing if you're – if, and I'm not – I'm just using this player as an example, as a position, not really the Georgia, like their team example, but it's one thing to lose. Like if your best player is your, your tight end or um, maybe a defensive end or a corner or something like that. Like even in an offensive tackle. Yeah. Yeah. It's you, you just, you're not, you're not going to be able to overcome that unless, you know, Unless you're Kansas, I guess, you know, I don't know, and play the way that <laughs> yeah, yeah. three guys at quarterback. I don't know that I hate that for Florida State, though, because I think ultimately I everyone wants the best clearly for uh, for Jordan Travis, but we also want to see college football, especially this time, championship November, conference championships around the corner. We want to see everyone at their best to see like who can go and earn the championship rightfully. So I hate it for everyone that this is, that has come to this brutal. hundred percent with you. Birthday shout outs. Welcome to the world. Joseph Franklin Littlefield. Happy fifth birthday to Henry. Big Hank Blonick. Nice. Happy big Hank. I love that. Happy sixth birthday to Blakely. Kintner. Happy 17th birthday to Blake Foster. Happy 18th birthday to Devin Coulter. Happy 26th birthday to Aaron Slarve. 
Happy 32nd birthday to Todd Calvert. And happy birthday to Regina Bell. And happy 63rd birthday to Rick Fournier. F-U-R-N-I-E-R. Fournier. 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 It's got to be one of those, Rick. Happy birthday, man. On that note, episode 372 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. The voice of the TCU Horn Frogs, Brian Estridge, will join us to preview that matchup. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great start to your week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time